the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. One of my favorite books is called The Stinky Cheese Man. It's a children's book. It's fun to read to nieces and nephews and sons and daughters. It takes every fairy tale that you know and it kind of turns it upside down, so... One of the fairy tales in it is about the really ugly duckling who grows up to be a really ugly duck. It's kind of awesome. And the person who illustrates it, this duck has like eight eyes and 40 sets of teeth and like four arms. Like he's a really ugly duck. So it's not only fun for the kid to hear, but it's also fun to see. And uh, I highly recommend it. I oftentimes try to give you investment advice that is similar. Ugly investments usually grow up to be even uglier investments. And I know some people want to own a stock that's gone from 60 to 6, and they want to own it as it goes from 6 back to 60, but that usually doesn't happen. So know that. Um, next thing I want to bring up is kids can be expensive. I'm trying to give some you know basic advice that some people don't think about. When I first started at Cron back in 2001... 2002, there was a moment where uh, we were coming up with show ideas, and I kind of get myself into trouble, and I've, I've done a lot less of it. I've, got, I've gotten much better, but that was a time when the fires were going through the Oakland Hills. I'm like, why don't we do a special where we go buy real estate up in the Oakland Hills, and you buy the house right next to the house that's on fire, because you're going to get a fire sale, so to speak. And they're like, no, 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 people will shoot you. People don't like that. I'm like, okay, how about we do, how about we go after people who have kids or poor? And, you know, I can tell you that kids love robots. And next week, kids love dinosaurs. And then kids love cars. Kids love Thomas the Train. Choo, choo. Thomas the Train is wickedly expensive. If you want to know what evil is, take a look at, at the toys being sold to kids. You buy a Thomas train, and it's like 25 bucks for one caboose. And your kid's going to destroy it. It's going to destroy your nice wooded floors, the whole process. But you love them because kids are worth it, right? 
kids are a two hundred fifty thousand dollar investment. If you send them to private school, it's about a three hundred and thirty thousand. So from age zero to seventeen, they ain't cheap. They've got runny noses. They got boogers. Did I say boogers? Oh, for the record, movie coming out called Cooties. It looks kind of awesome. It's about kids who become zombies <laughs> because they get the cooties during lunch break, and adults have to basically take care of them. And if there's anything sicker than that, I don't know what is. Stephen King's, you know, uh, graveyard book, uh, Pet Cemetery, where the kid comes back to life. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than the idea of reanimation of your own blood. Um, but Cooties kind of looks kind of funny because they're making a humorous attempt out of it. But Cooties, it's child zombies. I'm like, is that what Cooties does? Now I know. The kids are expensive. Um, and you could probably argue that a lot of people don't know what they're getting into. Um, and it could be done cheaper. And it will be done cheaper. There's a girl who quit her job on Wall Street to basically set up an app where she'll go to thrift store after thrift store after thrift store and find really good stuff and then sell it on the app. She's making $5,000 a month. And this is a concept that can scale easily. You know what easy it is to save some money at a thrift store? Every Halloween costume should be bought at a thrift store. Every Halloween costume. Or you get my idea. And you're like, Rob Black goes to a thrift store? Of course not. Not me. I'd probably get cooties or something if I did that. So I'd definitely have to wash afterwards. Um, with that said, a lot of money can be saved at the thrift store. But yeah, the girl comes up with a basic app idea of reselling, not designer clothes, but pretty close. And that's going to change investing. If you think that the day and age like Abercrombie and Fitch, that is a company that can go away. Kids don't support it today. They don't like it. France just introduced a new law, or they're, they're putting together a new law that I find kind of fascinating. It's tied towards food wastage. Basically, they want people to stop wasting food, grocery stores in particular. They want them to figure out a way to give it to charity or a way to give it to livestock instead of letting it be wasted. If you take a look at how much water it takes to create food, you'd be like, I get it. I get it. Um, and I don't think France is wrong. I think they're more right than wrong as far as what they try to do socially. Maybe it's aggressive. Oh, uh, maybe they don't have much of a sense of humor, but I like the idea. It kills me whenever I buy meat and I let it go bad. It, it destroys me. Um, anyway, I'm not going to get into this too long. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, so kids love robots. Kids love dinosaurs. Kids love trains. And they love pizza. None of it's cheap. So um, what else do we need to talk about? I want people to get financially educated. So I do want you to take a look at websites like Wall Street Journal and Financial Times. IB Times does a really nice job. None of them are going to be a silver bullet. None of them are going to be all that you need. Um, you're going to have to diversify some of your education when it comes to money issues. Um, but I think you can do it. I kind of have faith in you. I'm trusting you. Um, too much short-term focus is a big mistake people make. Uh, you have from age 20 to 60 to save money. And yes, like I said earlier, 
stock market had its best run from 95 to 99. And then you look at the six-year run in 2008, 2014, 2008, 2015, and you're like, whoa, that's eerily similar. How did, two, how did 95 to 99 end? Two or three down years. So it can happen. Um, so too much short-term focus, though, is a bit of a problem because you become greedy and you become fearful. If a company is a good company, you'll be okay, <clears throat> even if they delay a product. I think everyone should have some sort of binder that has their birth certificate in it, maybe social security card. Put that binder in a safe, fireproof safe. Um, you want a list of your assets, your liabilities, your income, just in case you die. Here's what stinks. When my dad died many, many years ago, 20 plus years ago, I had to go through all, that, all of his financial information. We had to piece it together. We had to figure out how much was in his bank account. We had to figure out how much credit card debt there was. Then we had to figure out what life insurance products were in place. As I went through his desk, I found out that he didn't sign a life insurance paper with six months left to live. He was told, you will be dead in six months, Mr. Black. You've got six months left to live. Your cancer's getting worse. He died. And with five months left, he forgot to sign an insurance paper that he had had his whole life. That all he had to do was put one more signature on it, and my mom would have got $400,000. But he was worried about God. He was worried about getting his, his head in order. Maybe making some rights from some of his wrongs. So whole life insurance, eh, I'm not crazy about it. But if you have it, let people know about it. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Zach, hello. Oh, a little thrift star. Oh, I got you. Macklemore. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing. Yeah. We'll take a break. weird. Many, 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 many years ago, I get into radio. This wasn't the job that I wanted. I did it. I was okay at it. Um, it's very cathartic. It relaxes me. But um, my friends know I'm Robert. Everyone else calls me Rob. And I hate that. Like, I can instantly tell who's my friends in the world and who's not. I sign my emails. Robert. Um, so there's this weird identity thing that you get in radio that sometimes you don't really, really want. A lot of people think that the person I am on radio is the person I am at home, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, but, you know, you have to play a bit of a character. My character is Generation X, 
Cold Hard Truth, Tough Love, a little bit of sarcasm. I think it's kind of cliche right now to talk about Dave Letterman and how he influences you and or not, but he was really a groundbreaker in the 80s and 90s, not so much in the 2000s. Um, and I fashioned myself on that a little bit. If you compare me to other financial radio hosts, uh, I'm different. Um, if you compare me to what you see on TV, I'm different. I wear jeans when I'm on TV. You can't see because they only shoot me from the hips up, but that's what I do. And it's always fun to have like a grade of group of like second or third graders come in for a tour and they're like, wow, he's wearing jeans. Um, I won't go as crazy as do the bike shorts. I could, but I won't. Um, so I have to play a little bit of a character and that, that kind of gets me in the mood to give you advice. Like Scrooge was an investor God. Now I, you're like, what's that even mean? If you got kids and you buy them a jumpy house, they're going to play in that jumpy house three times in the first year, two times in the second year, once in the third year, and then it's just basically mildew. But you just paid $400 for a jumpy house. Scrooge was fantastic because he didn't give away Christmas gifts. He didn't give away bonuses. He was very frugal with his money. Do you know what? He was wealthy in retirement, right? Now, I'm not saying that should be you. I'm not saying it's actually a good role model. I do have a heart. And I do take care of the people in my life. Um, but also, I'll be honest with you. Like, There's some people. I have this little thing there. I get people like a bunt cake or a bottle of wine during the holidays. There's people that I'm not, I don't do it for anymore. And I'm actually okay with that. Um, I do think you know a professional courtesy thank you to the people you work with is always due. And that's why you do kind of get little tokens. But... I don't know. Scrooge was awesome. And then the whole movie, I mean, the movie was great. The scene where Tiny Tim's dad has to work on Christmas Eve is just the best. But Papa, it's Christmas Eve. And he has to go to work, otherwise he's going to lose his job. I love that. That's like the best. Um, But then the movie gets ruined in the end when he's like, here, Tiny Tim, go buy a goose. And throws money out the window. Like, but no, no, you're going to die broke, dude. You're going to go live in a trailer in England. Do they even have trailers back then? Well, a row house or whatever. A shanty. Trying to keep people from living in a shanty. Okay, so this is how ridiculous it is to become a millionaire. How easy it is. If you're 20 years old, all you need to save is $1,000 a year until you're 60. And get 6% returns in the stock market. If you're 25 years old, suddenly it's $1,700 a year. Whoa, so in five years, it goes from 1000 to 1700 If you're 30, you need to save $2,900 a year or $250 a month. Now, keep in mind, when you're 20, that was less than $100 a month. That's like $85 a month. If you're 35, it's $5,000 a year. If you wait till 40, it's $8,700. If you wait till 45, it's 15600 Now, that's $1,300 a month. The difference between a person who's 20 at $85 a month versus somebody who's 45, $1,300 a month, that's exponential. That's ridiculous. Are you with me against me? You have to choose a side here. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. 
And if you wait till you're 55 to try to get to a million dollars, it's going to cost you a sweet $5,000 a month. So not realistic for most people. There's a concept that I like throwing out there about credit. I know a lot of people who just don't get credit. Credit can make you a prince. Credit can make you a pauper. And the concept here is, is that having a good credit score helps you get things later in life a lot cheaper. I know you're saying, but I don't want credit. Credit ruins people. No, no, no. People ruin people. They get credit and they put groceries on it. Or they get a credit card and they put a car on it. Or they get a credit card and they put you know, expensive clothes or a trip on it. And they're like, oh, I'll pay for it later. I'll get it at the end of the month. Instant gratification now. We live in an instant gratification world. So good credit gets you a car with like a 3% loan. Bad credit gets you a car with a 7, 8, 9% loan. You see the difference? Good credit gets you a house with a mortgage payment tied towards a 3.8% loan. Bad credit gets you a, a mortgage payment tied towards an interest rate of 6%. And that could be a $3,000 payment versus a $6,000 payment. It's egregious. Your credit score could be improved by your payment history. Amounts that you owe. The length of your credit history. Having an old credit card is a good thing to have. Your credit card's age. And sometimes you're like, oh, I was so pissed. Last year, Bank of America said, you haven't used your credit card in a while. Like, I forgot. Because I was using reward cards. And they're like, we're closing your account. I'm like, no, 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 no. And they already did. Uh, yeah, it's no use crying about it now. But you get the idea. Um, so I basically have old credit cards. And then if I want to get a different rewards card, sometimes the rewards are really good. Like I got $400 for signing up for a rewards card if I spent $3,000 in the first three months. Sure. I'll take 400 bucks. And then when I'm on the beaches of Mexico, sipping margaritas... Or drinking sangria out of a boot. I know you're saying, hey, have you drank sangria out of a boot? I have. It was in a city called Sagres in Portugal. And I made the huge mistake of, it's a city on a hill. And you don't, there's no hotels. You just live with someone. Like someone at the train's like, hey, you want to stay in my house? I'm like, sure. So you stay in their house. And you, you see your, your house. It's a white house with a red roof. You go down, you start drinking margaritas, start drinking sangria out of a boat. You look up the hill, and every house is a white house with a red roof. You're like, I'm never going to find home tonight. Never, ever, never. If you ever get a chance to get to Sagres, oh. It's right next to a city called Lagres. Sagres is better than Lagres. It's all that in a bucket of chicken. Uh, drinking sangria out of a boat, not too savvy. I'm Rob Black. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm Rob Black. 
Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I wish I could play music uh, better than I can. That's a band called Temper Tramp. Uh, Temper Trap. Temper Trap. Oh, you can mess up the words there on that one pretty easily. Um, pretty cool website. If you get a chance to go to the website, it's called Temper Trap. The Temper Trap. <laughs> I'm killing myself. TheTemperTrap.com. Remember the Trapper Keeper as a kid? The most ultimate in notebooks. The Trapper Keeper 2000. Like, literally, you could unleash the forces of hell with that thing. Like, it, it had a Pandora's box in it. It was all that and more. So, Australian band formed in 2005. Temper Trap. Anyway, and anyhow, I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Kind of in a rambling mode today, aren't I? Um, we were talking credit last. Uh, credit's not bad. Credit's good. Buying CDs on credit, bad. Putting vacations on credit without having the money to pay it off the moment you get back, bad. Um, kids. I've been talking a lot about kids this hour, so let me do a little bit more on that. I don't believe in giving, putting money in kids' names. I don't believe it. Um, I think you can help them, but I see people try to give their house to their kids, and they, they set up a tax situation that is, is horrific, and then they set up a social situation where they don't have a place to live. The biggest fear that you should have if you have money and you're going to give it to your kid is that they marry poorly. Um, in a lot of states, that could be a wrecker, a financial wrecker. So a lot of people with trusts will put the trust in, let's say you have a boy. I'm going to give all my money to King Cameron, Brett. So all your money goes to Brett. <clears throat> then he gets it at 18. <clears throat> Something happens to you. He gets it early kind of thing. But if you set up a trust, it doesn't all go to when you're 18. It can go to him at 25 when he's done with college. It can go to him at 35 when he's probably starting a family. It can go to him at 55 when he's getting ready to retire. And you're going to send him on a golden retirement. I got a little uh, teary-eyed. I'm one of those guys who easily tears up. I hate that. I hate it. Um, there was an article that I read recently about a girl who just finished her thesis. And when she was 14, her mom would write what were called lunchtime letters. And if you go Google lunchtime letters, you'll find the article. And basically, her mom, every day at lunch, would there was a handwritten note. Because the mom worked and couldn't be there, so she'd write her little lunchtime letter. And um, Every day, the girl saved them. And the advice is just, it's preciously wonderful. You know, like, um, go out and talk to a friend today. Go out and make a friend today. Even if the girl doesn't like you. Say something nice. Find something nice to say about what she's wearing or what she did in class. And like that kind of advice is golden. Um, if, people, if kids are making fun of you, it's because they're jealous of you. And that's so true. Very, very rarely are you usually the complete dweeb that's made out in media that people make fun of. It's usually they have a crush on you or something along those lines. Um... So I don't really believe in giving kids money. I, I believe in empowering them in different ways. And I believe in setting up a trust that, you know, your wealth can go to them at various stages of their life. 
there was a dad who got cancer, and uh, he basically wrote his kid, uh, congratulations on graduation. So he died like when his kid was 12. He wrote him a graduation letter, a college graduation letter, a birthday letter for every year um, up until age 30. And the kid said, once he turned like 31, he's like, I started missing them. Because he realized that his dad had been with him his whole life. And I thought that was like so cool. There's so many great things you could do as a parent that you don't take the time for. And you're like, oh, I'm going to give my kid all my money. Bad thing to do. Anyway, um, if you're under the age of 40, and this is not specific advice, this is my advice, I don't think you need a bond fund in your 401k. I think you need stock funds because you still have 20 more years of letting it go, grow. Now, when the market has a two or three year bad period, you're going to wish that you had bonds. Right now, would I say you want to be a little more conservative after a six year run in the stock market? Sure. But that doesn't mean bonds. And again, you can do the bonds. I don't mind underperformance. I'm pretty well known to underperform at times in life. And I'm okay with that. Um, I love investment clubs because it gets people talking about money. I think uh, your kids turn 8, 9, 10. I think you should have a girls' night out. And y'all should, instead of talking books... What did you think about the book that Hillary Clinton wrote? No, I think you should get together and talk about money. Talk about stocks. Um, Have a bottle of wine. Maybe two bottles of wine. Come home happy. But I told you that I did an investment club in Santa Rosa. And it was a long drive for me. And uh, what I loved about it was it was kind of a lot of um, well-to-do moms. And... uh, there's a couple older older women, and I love the older women. Not, no, 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 I'm not going to like there. I'm not going to like some sort of weird website, robloveswolderwomen.com. I'm not going there. That is not appropriate behavior, okay? Okay, Mr. Mackey, you're right. Um, okay. So this older woman, she was cranky. Everyone was like, oh, good God, let's have a little, little pig in a blanket. And she was just cranky. And uh, she was the best person to know there because everyone loved stocks. And this was like during the dot-com boom. And she was the one that didn't trust dot-coms. And that's the good friend to have, the person who doesn't necessarily agree with you. There's a good book out there that I like to read called The Death of Competition. It teaches you how to look at businesses as ecologies. And if you were to look at Apple's business model, you keep hearing about, you know, ecology, the software, the iTunes, the apps, the TVs, it's all the software kind of works together. So they're creating their own forest, and they are the biggest animal in that forest. But they're, they're creating the plants that they like, so to speak. Very rarely do companies get to do that. Um, so the death competition, you get a chance to pick it up on Amazon or something like that. It's a white book. It's half white, half red. That helps you. Um, I think you'd find investors that you dig and grasp. Um, and I think you should stick with them. Warren Buffett's a classic example. He's a guy who likes cash flow. I don't like everything that he likes. He'll buy an Israeli steel company. I don't know any Israeli iron companies. I, I don't know them. I just don't know them. 
I don't know what currency they use. I can find Israel on a map. I don't know about how much precious materials they can get, the commodities, to make the ore, to make the iron. I, I don't know. But I know cash flow. And that's one of the things Warren Buffett does well. He buys a lot of companies that are very different. Dairy Queen is all about cash flow. Coca-Cola is all about cash flow. Now, it just so happens to be that Coca-Cola also rots your teeth and makes you diabetic and kills you. But the cash flow is good. And all he cares about is the cash flow. Cash flow can do a lot of things. Cash flow can service debt. Cash flow can buy back shares. Cash flow can increase dividends. I've often said that investing is not fun. It's not sexy. I would so much rather be on a Mexican beach than to be talking about money and investing. But I do it because when I do get to a Mexican beach, I, I try to enjoy it. A lot easier when you're younger, trust me. When you get older, there's more problems. As Dave Letterman once said, if you jump in front of a mirror and things are still moving after 30 seconds, you probably shouldn't go to the beach. And that's pretty accurate. Pretty accurate. I look at investing as, it's not fun, but it's a lot like a distance race, a six-miler. You have to take it slow and incremental. You have to look at it as mile post, half mile, mile, mile and a half, two miles, two and a half, three. You have to have a pace. If you try to run a six-mile race with a sprint, you ain't going to do it. And yeah, you're going to outperform your sprint, but then you're going to underperform all the other runners when you're trying to catch your breath. So try to get, you know, that you've got a timetable. I don't want to work 20 more years, but I certainly want to invest 20 more years before I start pulling money out. Living off that, per se. The secret to getting 20%, someone sent me an email like, uh, he's looking at some, some debt that bridge financing that went, he's going to get 10% on his money. Good luck with that. That was 12%. And essentially... If you can get 12% with no risk, you would be crazy not to sell everything you own and get put it into that. You can't get 12% without with no risk. Any anything over 3 to 4% as far as income goes, it's going to be problematic and it's going to cause you risk factors to really escalate higher. So 12% returns are way more exponentially riskier than 3 to 4%. So and you have to know that. I have a thing with the killers. I don't know what it's about, all about. It's not telling me the news of the day, that's for sure. Take a break here. Be right back. It's Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. Someone once said, Mama, don't let your sons grow up to be cowboys. 
There's some truth in that. Not a lot of money being a cowboy these days. I've said, and I've pissed off many people on this show, don't want your kids to be poetry majors or philosophy majors or theater majors because there's not a lot of jobs in in the real world. And I'll get someone who sends me, my brother's a CEO of a billion-dollar company, and he was a philosophy major. Okay, that's one. Show me a second one, and then I'll concede. Let's bring in Carrie Flynn from IB Times. How are you, Carrie? Great. How are you doing, Rob? Doing well. Fascinating article. Why everyone from bankers to filmmakers are changing careers and learning to code. I wish I knew how to code. Uh, Me too. You know, I've been thinking about it more and more the more I write about it. But (laughs) someone has to report on this trend as well, right? Well said. So, but... Not a lot of money compared to you and me, what we do versus what Mark Zuckerberg does, and he knows how to code, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, well, it really depends. You, the, There's one part of money. You also have to find a job out of it, and so that's where the story that I uh, wrote for IB Times comes in. What do you typically do for IB Times? Do you have like a beat? Do you cover jobs? Do you cover careers, tech, anything in particular? So I'm a general tech reporter on the team. I tend to focus on social media companies. And so, therefore, these coding tools for the story that I recently wrote uh, is one way that these social media powerhouses are now attracting talent. I've said something on air that I think is going to hold true. Down the road, Google and Facebook will open up universities because they keep saying again and again and again, we can't get enough engineers. We need more mm-hmm foreign visas, we need to bring people in from other countries. Is that a crazy concept from what you're learning? I mean, I don't think it's completely crazy. Uh, We have seen these coding schools and these companies have a direct pipeline relationship. One way that students can pay for this program is actually Facebook will sponsor your tuition. Uh, We've seen that with uh, Etsy's relationship with one program called the Recurse Center. So, yeah, they've already formed these partnerships as to creating their own schools. That's a whole other topic that we'll have to see if they decide to choose that investment. For now, they're letting these other people take hold of the industry. What is coding school all about? Is it a step after high school? Is it a step in the middle of your career? When do we go to these coding schools? So it really depends. There are people from all different uh, ages and walks of life going to these schools. The people that I spoke to were uh, some of them, each of them had completed a four-year college degree, but one was two years out of college, did banking for two years, and wanted to try to learn how to code. So he had no previous background in programming, went through a program, uh, and now has a successful job at a startup. Someone else, uh, a 32-year-old filmmaker, he decided to spend a year teaching himself how to code, uh, so a free option, and now has a career. So there's, it really depends the whatever transition you want to make. What do we do once we have the coding experience, and what is coding experience? What's it look like on your resume? Is it a, a certificate? Is it a degree? Is yeah. it a program that you can say, I've, I've finished? Yeah, so that's one benefit of these coding schools is you, if you go to a reputable one, obviously they can be well-known in the industry. So you can say that I went through this process. But it's just like other skills you would list on your resume. If you're applying for an entry-level job as a coder, you need to know certain programs, and these are called JavaScript, Ruby on Rails. By doing these coding schools, you're checking off that you have experience in each of these uh, sections. So why write an article about 
this, you know, for bankers and filmmakers, why why bring up the concept of socially we're changing? Yeah, so we've seen a trend in people leaving their jobs, going to coding schools. That's a story that's been told a lot. What I was most interested in going into it, we've heard that these coding schools are really expensive for people, that some of them are charging $12,000 off the bat, which can be a huge opportunity cost for people who are interested in pursuing technical careers from something else. So I discovered uh, that these coding schools are actually evolving and choosing different models. The school that I chose to profile, Viking Coding School, actually offers a deferred tuition model, meaning that they take a percentage of your first year salary, and therefore there's no opportunity cost. It's essentially the business, the instructors are guaranteeing that you're going to get a job because if they don't get you a job, then they're not making money. And the better job that they get for you, the more money they make. So Viking School, they have a summer program. You do a $2,000 deposit, and then you agree to a percentage-based job placement fee set at 18%. Is that coming out of your pocket, or is that coming out of the employer's pocket? That's coming out of your pocket. That's taken directly from your first year salary. So let's say if I get a job that makes 70k a year, then I'm going to pay over $12,000 back to the Viking Code School after the year's end. How do you feel about that? Because that seems to me that's such an odd concept. It's tough for me to swallow. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a lot that you're paying. But what I think it's interesting that. There's, like I said, there's opportunity costs. You're essentially guaranteeing that you're going to have this high-paying career. It's this outcome accountability idea that's actually being considered and thrown about for all kinds of higher education models. Does this mean, and I, I, does this mean computer science at Stanford goes away, or does this make computer science majors at Stanford even more valuable? Yeah, I think it's a different uh, concept. Yeah, if you decide at age 18 you're going to Stanford and you want to pursue a computer science degree, go for it. That's fine. You're going to learn so much more than just the technical skills, like I mentioned before, Ruby on Rails, JavaScript. You're also getting a broader education while being at Stanford and connecting and discovering yourself. These schools are essentially you're just for three, two to three months, you are learning the technical skills and helping build a network that could have been built, uh, you know, over the course of four years pursuing a degree at Stanford. But, like, I think parents have to be looking at this going, I can't really afford, I could afford four years or I could send them to a coding school. And if I can get my, jo- if I can get my kid a six-figure job by Stanford, great. If I can get my kid a six-figure job by coding school, great. But there's a major cost difference between the two. I mean, this is, uh, I like the idea. You lose yeah, the social aspect, but I like the idea. Exactly. No, that's a question for parents, a question for students as well. What what path they want to take in this? Obviously, college and this boot camp said it's a completely different experience. If you just want to, at age 18, learn the skills of coding and go directly into a job, all right. But that doesn't have to be the choice for everyone. And what we've seen, you know, in this trend with coding education is that people older, people who already completed college degrees are also using these uh, schools to learn more technical skills. What was your experience? Are people really finding jobs out of this? Because I'm a little leery. You know, you (laughs) sit on the couch late at night, you watch these uh, infomercials about higher education, computer classes, things like that, come to our trade school, and, you know, I found a job in three months, and it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I feel a little leery. And should I be leery or should I not be leery? Should I be trusting this concept? 
Well, like any type of uh, idea, if you graduate four years of college, it's, you know, th- there's pressure on you to find a job to establish a network and get a career. So what's interesting about these smaller coding programs is they're guaranteeing that the instructors who run it already have connections to specific companies. For example, Viking Code School, he has three advisors on his board. One of them was one of the first employees at Airbnb. So obviously he's very connected to the San Francisco tech scene and can help introduce successful candidates to these programs to companies. And then it's up for both the instructor and the student to try to guarantee a job at the end. Anything else that we need to know? I'm speaking with Carrie Flynn from IB Times. You can find her at ibtimes.com. It's a great website. Lots of lots of content that I like that's applicable to me. Anything else that we need to know about this coding school story? Yeah, I think well, what's interesting with this model that it's deferred tuition, it's also completely online. We've seen this trend where a lot of these boot camps, people packing up their bags and going to San Francisco and New York, these big hubs, which is a huge cost for people to have to completely move for elsewhere and not necessarily guarantee the fact that they're going to get a job. Really, what's interesting about Fighting Code School is their model doesn't require you to relocate. Essentially, you could be living with your parents for three months and then hopefully guarantee a job at the end. Um, and you also, the deferred tuition model is interesting. But we don't know about the success yet. The first official class starts June 29th and goes until the end of the summer. So I'll definitely be keeping my eyes out to see how, how the success rate turns out to be. Thanks very much and have a good long weekend. It's Carrie Flynn with IB Times. Um, Carrie Flynn, F L Y N N, Carrie K E R R Y. If you want to Google her, and I'm sure her name will pop up numerous times. Uh, pretty successful writer for Forbes, the Huffington Post, Money Magazine, but in this particular case, IB Times. Always good to learn a little bit more. Um, I can imagine there's a lot of people who are listening today going, huh, maybe I don't like my job so much, maybe I'm going to go to coding school. Uh, If you listen to any heartbeat, any pulse of the tech industry, they're hiring, and they're paying six-figure jobs. And if you have a kid, I'm not saying you have to get them into math and sciences, but it really helps if you get them into math and sciences. Um, if he's got a good left arm and he can throw a curveball and he can hit lefty, sure, there's something to be said for that. But math and sciences are the way to go in the future economy, in my opinion. You don't want to have that, uh, how shall we say, debate with yourself later in life of did you do enough? Math and sciences gives a lot of structure. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I always want to thank the Ivy Times. They give me great guests, and I appreciate it. We'll take a break here. Be right back. Rob Black and your money. We code hard in these cubicles. Straight to your job or runtime environment. We code hard in these cubicles. Keep the syntax light and the algorithm tight. We code hard in these cubicles. Gotta use Java if it's gonna run right. We code hard in these cubicles. Java keeps adapting, you know it's built to last. We code hard in these I'm a black talking money, investing in more. Thanks for listening to the show. 
Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about, drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. One of the biggest mistakes people make, and I guess it, it really does come down to, and maybe I'm just putting this in articulate form today, people make mistakes when it comes to money. It's, if you just do things normal, you're going to be taken care of. If you just put your money in an S&P 500, you're going to be okay. You may have too much risk tied towards U.S. stocks and not enough exposure to foreign markets, which, hey, believe it or not, there's economies outside of the United States. Um, sometimes we get a little bit too focused on them. But if you just do things right, you're, you're going to be okay. If you get term life insurance, which covers the term that you need your insurance in case something happens to you, you don't get caught in expensive whole life or variable life, you're okay. If you stay away from insurance products like annuities and don't confuse insurance with investments. Insurance is insurance. You insure what you can't afford to lose. The biggest mistake I see people make, well, one of the biggest mistakes, they get out of a job, they take their 401k, they hear a slicky guy named Ray say, hey, everybody should buy annuities. Shake my hand. Shake my hand. And, uh, you know, oh, he's slippery. And they give him, you know, their 401k money, and he converts it into an annuity. Annuities are bad. Bad, bad, bad. Most people don't need them. Now, if you could find an annuity that is a low cost with no management fees, that's okay for maybe 10, 15% of your income in retirement, but that's it. I... I find people make way big mistakes. They use an insurance person to do investments. Big, 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 big mistake. If the company is with FINRA, you're in trouble. Um, and it never hurts. If someone's trying to sell you an annuity, go punch their name in at FINRA and see what the legal ramifications have been in their career. I know one guy who pushes annuities that he's been fined well over $3 million by FINRA. Wait. Don't you love game shows where people mess up? Oh, the, the, the precious one was recently when the price is right. Messed up. One of the prizes they gave to the winner, the person got the right prize, was in a wheelchair, wheeled up onto the stage, and one of the prizes was a treadmill. You could just imagine the producers were desperately trying to grab the treadmill and drag it off, straight, off stage before the curtains opened. Anyhow, we all make mistakes. Um, there's a couple, you know, easy things to say, and if you could write some of these down for you, it would be great. I wrote them down for me. Like, I don't fight the market. I'm in the market. I'm going to be in the market for another 20 plus years. I'll probably be in the market the day I die. So let's say 40 plus years, optimistically. Uh, there's things that you could look at, like, by sector leaders, by best of breed. You know, it always kills me when... You have in front of you the ability to buy shares of Apple. And instead, you're like, no, I think I'm going to buy this little BlackBerry company. Good luck to you. Um, I prefer you buy index funds instead of individual stocks. If you're going to buy individual stocks, you need to look at quarter-to-quarter -quarter margins, valuations, growth, top and bottom lines, revenue and earnings, that means. Um... But margin improvements are really important, and if it's a big company, it's critically important because Intel and Apple can sell 42 million whatevers, 
But for them to make more money, the margins have to go from 4% to 5%, and they make a lot more money selling 42%, 42 million whatevers. Margins are important, and if you don't have time to look at them, I don't think you should play the game. Um, so write down things that, that you know, you're looking for. Don't let greed or fear ever get the better of you. If you bought a great company, if you bought a great index, if the market goes down, that doesn't mean you're wrong. Hopefully you have more money available to you so you can buy more of it. Um, if a stock does everything you wanted it to, consider letting some of it go. There's no harm in that. Some people just can't sell that winner, and some people just can't sell that loser. One of the better things I ever did once, um, I remember our, I told you this story. One of the biggest mistakes I ever made as an investor was a company called Cryomedical Sciences. They basically did this thing where they freeze cancers, and then it's easier to get out of your body that way or something like that. Something stupid, right? So I bought it at 2 bucks, and then it went to like 5 bucks. I didn't sell it. I should have. I should have sold part of it. Their first orders were fantastic. The second orders from doctors, not so good. Doctors were willing to try the procedure. They weren't willing to do it a second time. It wasn't, as effect, it wasn't effective from the results they saw in the first one. It's like that little blue pill, Viagra. Doctors gave it to patients once, but then they gave it to them a second time. It was the most second refill prescribed pill of all time. Doctors trusted it. Patients loved it, I guess. I don't know. I have to watch what I say here because anytime you talk about erectile dysfunction, it just makes some people uncomfortable, especially when you tie it towards stock. So anyway, so I had a stock anyway. that – What? Anyway. Anyway. Are you making fun of uh, – say the word anyway a lot? Because I will come through that glass and punch you. Punch you right in your baby maker. Um, okay. So – Current medical alliance went from two to five, and then it went from five down to like two cents. And every month you get that statement where it's like 10 cents, 15 cents, two cents. You're like, oh, it's killing me. Psychologically, it's sometimes better just to lose the loser. That goes for women with men in your life, lose that loser. It goes for men that stock in your life, lose that loser. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, more. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.